friends! Welcome to episode 148 of Storyteller Conclave. This is a show all about helping you run the best tabletop role-playing game that you can. Whether you're a new storyteller or dungeon master learning the craft, or an experienced storyteller looking to take your game to the next level. I'm Sarah. And I'm Rob. How are we doing, Rob? Dinner was very filling. Dinner was very filling. We had punch keys. Yeah, if you're if you're hearing stuff in the background, I am still running the kettle. I apologize. But we definitely need some tea after all of that tasty, tasty, tasty food and oh, way goodness. too much sugar. Absolutely. So. Absolutely. Hello to our friends in the uh, live show chat. We are so glad. You may join us here as well, if you wish, by joining our Discord uh, and uh, becoming one of our patrons. So uh, we appreciate all of you, and we would love to have you here being able to throw questions and comments and sometimes poke fun at us while we're uh, trying to get through these shows. Mm-hmm. So... Um, so yeah, it's been, I'm just going to ignore work completely and yeah. not, not even get into that, but it's been interesting. You ha- We had your game, not this past weekend, the weekend before. No, there was no, no gaming last weekend. No gaming this weekend. Week, but Elden Ring came Elden Ring is, is everything. It consumed our lives. Yes, yes. It is, I, I say it's consuming your life. It is definitely an interest on my list because I, I do find it beautiful. I love I think, the storytelling. I think you hit your stride today. I think the moment you were like, you know what? I'm going to explore this bitch. Yeah, yeah. Like, the moment you, you said, I'm going to strike out on my own and I'm going to get into some trouble, mm-hmm. like, was the moment I was like, oh, my, my baby. Yeah, you know, yeah. like, just, yes. My child has grown up now. Uh, I, uh, to answer the live show chat, uh, Sarah is having uh, one of my personal favorites. Unfortunately, I don't do uh, caffeinated tea in the afternoon, but she's having Paris uh, by Harney and Sons. And uh, it is kind of a sweet yeah, it's delightfully uh, like Earl fruity, yeah. herbal. Uh, but very nice, very nice. Yeah. Uh, and I'm actually having some uh, uh, ginger lemon tea. So, mm, yeah, it's, it's, it's a very good uh, finish for the day. So, um, But we have a 101 to get through. Yeah, so uh, building up on our, our uh, for first Wednesday of the month uh, for, for year 2022 and probably into perpetuity, uh, we are doing um, uh, Storytelling 101. Uh, so we talked a little bit about uh, where we get our ideas from our story. We talked a little bit about uh, how to kind of turn your story into something you can make a campaign out of, uh, and into, into a actual role-playing game and now today we're talking about choosing the right system for your game and uh i think when we initially started looking at this uh like oh boy is this a big oh it's a huge topic it's a huge topic because there's so many games out there you know yeah and on the surface it looks very daunting um, oh i would agree with that statement uh but i think um, there's a few very easy things that you can do. Like, I think if you've already done step two, you know, if you've already got a solid idea of what game, you know, what story you want to tell, and you just need to pick a system to tell it with, um, like, if you're already at that stage where you know what the story is, yeah, y- picking your system is relatively easy. There are thousands upon thousands of game systems out there, but... If you've already got a firm idea of where you're going with it, you should be able to find five at most that would fit your... your right, model. but I think the problem comes in, and this is the, the reason for this show, mm-hmm. is that how do you define what to pick when when you're... Once you have the story down, but what what makes those definitional points? What chooses the right system? Right. How do you, how do you refine when... Because you don't just have three choices. I always loved the... Uh, the, there was a, a study that was done where they basically had jams at a grocery store and they, when, when people came in and they could choose, you know, what jam and there was like, 
I think the first test was like seven or twelve that were laid out, mm-hmm. and uh, they asked people to pick their favorites, their favorite, their favorite out of the list, and people were having a hard time choosing between all the jams. Like some people could choose one, but for the majority, people would spend several minutes sampling, testing, hemming and hawing, and going back and forth asking for assistance. Then the next grocery store that they went to in the same area, they only put out three. Mm-hmm. Everyone could quickly pick which ones they weren't. It took almost no time. Yeah, yeah and absolutely. it's that selection that makes it challenging to choose just one. Now we're not going to help you narrow it down to three, but we will help you come with the qualifiers. Hopefully today that will help you get it to a lesser list than literally the thousands that are out there. Absolutely, and absolutely. and and give you some of the stuff that at least we look at when we're thinking about systems and some of the stuff that just kind of you have to accept. Yeah. Yeah. Um, whether or not you're going to go with it. So, um, so I think there's a lot of factors that go into it. Um, oh, very a, much a so. couple quick ones off the top of our head that don't require a lot of like in-depth discussion. Yeah. Um, first off accessibility. I think we talked about this one before. Mm-hmm. Um, are the rules accessible to your players? Um, mm-hmm. and with- accessibility doesn't just mean, is it available on the internet in a PDF? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, let's just be honest. Sometimes it's price. Like yeah. straight up price. Like there are still PDFs out there at Drive Through RPG, which are going to be thirty or forty bucks to play. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm not saying they don't deserve their money. I'm sure, not saying that sure, at all. Sure, sure. But I'm also saying that like your group may not be able to afford as much as others. And the last thing you want to do is put somebody in a situation that they can't. Now, D and D Beyond does a great job where, but it does put a lot of the cost on the storyteller. Yeah. When setting up those campaigns, I know how much my subscription costs a year to run the game that I'm running. Yes. And it is not cheap, but it is not prohibitively expensive for me. I know certain GMs, um, and I definitely game with certain GMs, who would consider what I'm doing prohibitively expensive. They would go and get the books from the library, or they would you know, get hand-me-down books, or borrow books, or limit the scope. So when we talk about accessibility, we're talking not only about that, the physical capabilities of being able to get it, but also like... Is it available to everyone in yes. your group? Yes, absolutely. Um, familiarity is the next big one. Um, is the system easy enough for you to understand? Is it mm. easy enough for you to understand um, in, in a way that you can run it smoothly or at least understand the spirit of the rules mm-hmm. so that you can make table rulings that fit with the flow of the gameplay and then look up the actual hard ruling later. You know, that's one of the things I think I love the most about Savage Worlds as much as I go on about it is that, um, there is a very clear spirit of the rules. Mm -hmm. And, uh, it's like, uh, like Ron Blessing said, uh, one of the, one of the, um, uh, people with, uh, with Pinnacle is just like, if you have to make a table ruling on Savage Worlds, you're probably right. Mm-hmm. Like you're, you've probably correctly guessed it because the rules are that intuitive, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you you want at least a familiarity with your with your rule system um, that will allow you to run it with that sort of confidence. Confidence, yeah, confidence yeah. and flow. Yeah. The last thing you want to be doing is being like stumped at the table and then having to pull out a rule book and interrupt play so that you can look up something so the play can continue. The whole I mean part of that confidence is also excitement. The other players at that table need to be almost as excited as you are about it. Yeah. And if you start losing excitement because there's a challenge or something, and we run into this all the time with technology, with with setting up terrain, things like that, where 
it starts to get challenging for us. That challenge is pushed over 10 forward to your players. They mm-hmm. see it, they feel it, they know that this, things aren't going well, and it, that stress pushes through the story. Yeah. Um, so the best thing that you can do is be familiar, but also have that confidence of understanding that you can just move on. That you can move through it, and that you can move through it with your players, that they can be familiar. Speaking of your players, does you do your players know the system? That is a huge part of the familiarity. Um, are are they? Do they have? Yeah, I mean, do they they have access to the system? But you know, are they also familiar with it? Are you going to be able to get through a game without having to teach them every single time? You know. Yeah. Um, and is it familiar to them from a standpoint of you know? Are there is there another system they know? that you can um, uh, draw a comparison to at least so that you can just give them like, yeah, yeah, you roll initiative very much like you do in D&D. Like, okay, cool. I know how to roll D&D in, in, in you know, initiative in D&D. Yeah. It's some, it's experience I can already draw upon. Therefore, mm-hmm. I don't have to learn these rules from scratch. Right. You know? I mean, moving people to something like this new Star Wars system where you've got custom dice and you've got, you know, all yes. these other ones. It's really cool and the system is really neat, but it is very daunting when you look at the mechanics mm-hmm. and you physically just stare at them on a table. Oh god, I, yeah, I remember doing the system spotlight for it and going yeah. like looking at the just looking at the dice and going, "What fresh hell is this?" Like when it when it takes a whole page just to explain the dice. Yeah. But then you realize that's most of the system. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's, yeah. That's I, the... I oh, oh, I oh, I just learned the whole thing. Yeah. But <laughs> But you think it's more than that. You always do. There's always that edge right. in your head of, like, there's got to be something more to this. Yeah. You know, or paging through palladium charts. Yeah. You know, yeah. when really, they're not always necessary. They're you don't not have a... to. But it's there for that grit if you want it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I think the last thing for me uh, that we have on here, and I, I almost feel like it's it should sit a little higher, but based on the other two, it really does sit in this position, and mm-hmm. that is support. Support, yeah. Like, do you have everything you need to run the game? You know, if you've got questions, are there communities out there? Now, granted, we do have community access pretty heavily across with Reddit, with forums, with the Roll20 forums that are out there. Yeah, um, the, the world's gotten a lot smaller yeah. um, w- with respect to role-playing games uh, in, in the last 20 years or so. And a lot, you, know, you, can, you can pretty much find a community for just about everything. Um, yeah. Not all of them are super active. Not but, all of them are super nice. I'll be straight up. Some of them are sweaty as can be in some cases. Yeah, yeah, that happens. That happens. Yeah. But um, typically, there's there's not only there's not usually just one community for things. So yeah, um, oftentimes it, you know if you do run into a into a problem with the community, you may be able to find another you know that's more welcoming to you. Yeah, and and the good news is is that there are enough resources out there that are generalized with RPGs that you can throw a question in a general request, and somebody will be like, "Well, why aren't you looking here?" Now, even if they say it in a snarky way, you now have another resource to go to. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and, and that can be very beneficial. But sometimes that support is not there for the older systems um, or the more open systems because they're expecting a lot out of you to mm-hmm. look at those systems, those open systems, and kind of fill in the gaps because they are very simplified. Yeah. Um, and I think that kind of goes into to a little bit more of the stuff we're going to go over tonight. Um, but I think the real the, the keys here is once you – once you've defined that accessibility, whether or not you have familiarity with it, and whether or not it has support, it comes down to: Do you, in your gut, feel that this is the right system? Yeah, this is not an exact science, not in any way. Um, so like, there's really no wrong answers. I mean, there's, there's I guess there's some wrong answers. Like, I wouldn't use Seven C to run like a space game. You know, 
Well, but, for but, a lot of reasons, but yeah. You could, but you could get away with it. Oh, you totally could. Yeah, you totally could, could. You know. Yeah. You take a lot of hacking to do, but mm-hmm. you can do it. Yep. Yep. Um. But uh. But yeah. No. It's it's really like this isn't a real science. It's a lot of gut feelings. Sometimes you're just going to look at a role playing system and you're and it's going to click with you. You know. Um. Earlier today, I was reading a uh, discussion about GURPS, and if you're yeah. a long time listener to the show, you know that both of us kind of malign GURPS. Um. Yeah. I say we malign it, but like it's. It's just neither of our styles. No, it's, no. It's a perfectly good game. I've played a couple different games in GURPS. Yeah, yeah, and, and, and I'm sure you had a great time, you know. Yeah, I, I would say I had a great time in the games. I didn't necessarily have a great time with GURPS, which is why I have an issue with it. Exactly, exactly. It, but I think it's more of a stylistic thing and stuff like that. It, it, yeah. If it's a particular niche, neither of those, uh, you know, n- no particular niche that it fits are either are either of our styles. Yeah, I would agree with that, yeah. yeah. Um, But... But that's the thing, though, is that there are people out there whose who GURPS is absolutely their cup of tea. Like, Sean. Sean loves GURPS. Yeah, I mean, I I'm, would say that GURPS fits that neat niche between people who want something crunchy with a lot of availability. Where, like, yeah. I don't have to come up with rules because someone already has. Yeah, that's uh, – I'm sure Overwatch is in the live chat here, and I'm sure he's got uh, – he. I'm, I'm pretty sure he loves GURPS, if I remember correctly. I think he, he has strong feelings about GURPS, but I don't think he loves GURPS. I okay. think he has strong feelings for it because, just like any of the other systems, it's got its place in, like, the availability of build-outs, which it fits him really well. Is that, again <laughs> – he doesn't dislike any of the other systems. He kind of has a, a, a I, I would have to say, of all the things that I know about him, he has a soft love for pretty much all systems. Yeah, yeah, um, sure. And, uh, but I think that's more telling of his style of storytelling versus his style of gameplay. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something to be told as well, is that you may see someone running a game in a certain system, but that's not necessarily the system that they like to play in. Yeah, that's true. Because I will tell you, there are systems I like to play in that I won't, that I don't necessarily want to run. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, just because I I don't want to deal with that complexity. Like I love playing Shadowrun. I really don't love running Shadowrun. Yeah, I feel like uh, Legend of the Five Rings is going to be the exact same thing. Uh, yeah, I uh, I passed off my Legend of the Five Rings box set to uh, the Mad Elf. Uh, yeah, yeah. A couple weekends ago, yep. with high hopes that we'll see some returns on that investment. Sure, might um, might take a few years of, of good investment, but but man, looking looking at that rule system, I'm like, oh, I would hate running this, but man, I cannot wait to play this. Yeah, you know, yeah, and that's that's it, it, it's those types of things, and I think that is part of it. Is that you may look at something and be like, mm, I'm really interested in this, but this is going to be too much of a challenge. Like, I'm not great with remembering and keeping track of numbers and ranks of numbers. So if I can simplify that for myself, yeah, just for me, it's easier. Absolutely. Like my gaming got easier. Absolutely. So. All right, so let's get into the meat and potatoes of this. Um, All right. Because so let, let's get into some of the some of the points on choosing your game system that do take a little bit of analysis and discussion. Um, so first off, there are Hundreds, hundreds of systems out there, possibly thousands of systems out there. At least hundreds, I would say, that are unique. There are a lot that are are versions of other versions of other things. This is intimidating, and I'm paralyzed with choices. Good news, we're here to narrow it down for you. We're gonna ha- try and help you. Um, so it's gonna seem like a lot of information, but if you're at this point, you already know all of these answers. You may not be able to articulate those answers, but that's why we're here to put these questions in front of you so that you can think about the answers to them as it applies to the story that you've got in your mind Correct. that you want to tell. Correct. Um, so just define it in your mind as a storyteller and what you expect from the game and what you expect from your players. Um, 
and then just make sure that you're making that choice, not only just for you, mm-hmm. but also for your players, because you're right. not the only one playing this game. Yeah. Now, to be perfectly honest, um, if you're running in a situation where you don't know your players yet, you're you're presenting this as an open idea on Roll20 or one of the like looking for groups types of things, um, you have to also uh, keep that in mind, that that counts as your players. If you don't know... That adds a weight in that direction yeah. that you you may have to teach, you may have to learn, you may have to accept that they know more than you. Mm-hmm. So keep that within your 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 bailiwick of ideas. So that that helps. You know, you, you can be like, well, I don't know my players yet, so should I just wait in the system? No. If you're throwing one out there, have what you're most familiar and confident with. Yes, that absolutely. type of thing. So absolutely. But there are other questions that you should ask yourself, and we're going to try and put these in a framing so that you. You can ask this question yourself, and then we're kind of going to go through them a little bit here. But one of the first ones that hits my mind, um, at least way back in the day for me, was are you aiming at a playing a game in a pre-generated world? You don't want to have yep. to create the world. This is a softball. This yeah. is a softball from a storytelling standpoint. Yep. Are you playing Forgotten Realms? Congratulations. Great. That's a and d setting. Yeah. There's lots of books that already have D&D stats and D&D locations and D&D everything. Stories, NPCs, whole maps, uh, mm-hmm. like everything's written and ready. Adventures pre-generated and hundreds and hundreds of pages of novella that you could go and read about other things. Yep. You know, and that, that makes it very nice. That that's wonderful if you want Forgotten Realms, but if you're looking for something different, you're probably going to find it out there. So if you're like, hmm, I'm really looking for something that's more sci-fi, but maybe, you know, far contemporary future with a little bit of magic. Okay, do you want to play Rifts? Yeah. Like, is that what you're talking about? Like yeah. magic with technology in a really crappy world? How post-apocalyptic are you comfortable going? Oh, very post-apocalyptic. Rifts is perfect. It's probably it. perfect. Yes. Like, are you looking for something? Maybe you need something that's just a shift off of that where you have some flexibility. You know, you know, are you, are you maybe not going hard D and D? You want to go like Pathfinder? Cause you can, they, they have a whole set of worlds that are that, within Pathfinder that are also sci-fi. Sure. Sure. You know, um, are you looking for doing something like a, a swashbuckling story? Seven C is a great place to start. It, it is exactly what that is. It's yep. got tons of characters already laid out for you and adventures framed up instantaneously. Now, that said, mm-hmm. this doesn't 100% guarantee that this is exactly the system you want to run things in. Correct. For example, currently, you, as a longtime Seven mm-hmm. C storyteller... I do love it. Are working on converting that over to Savage Worlds. Correct. Because you like the feel of Savage Worlds better? I, I, I am, for reasons that would take much longer than this discussion, I will say there are elements that I really like about Savage Worlds and some elements in 7C that I think add too much weight. Okay. Fair enough. So. Fair enough. Yep. So, um, so like I said, it's not, it's not necessarily that, you know, okay, if you're going to play 7C, you have to use the 7C rules. Right. But it is at least an amazing starting point and a quick shortcut to finding the exact system you should be using to, to run your system. Mm-hmm. Um, and like we said before, it takes all the world building off your plate. Uh, so basically you don't have to make stuff up on the fly. Mm-hmm. If you're someone who does not have the time and resources to do that, mm-hmm. uh, it's it's a great, great, great thing to have a baked-in world. Yeah, and there's nothing to say that if, you know, halfway through your your adventure ideas and, and looking at a system, you go, this is daunting. I need to change systems. Do it. Do it. Just switch. Yeah. Just switch. Go steal someone else's. 
have instead if you if you're like okay I I basically am going to take I'm going to steal Forgotten Realms but I don't want my players to know anything about about it great change the names mm-hmm. use a different map everything else still can stay there whatever absolutely yep so you can tweak you can adjust you can do whatever you want after the fact but having that pre generated world can mean a lot all right so. Very much along the same sort of lines, mm-hmm. but it is a different, distinct question. Very is, much so. What genre is your story set in? Yes. Okay. So this will weed out 90% of all RPGs from your contenders list. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. So are you running fantasy, swords, and sorcery? Hey, great. Like top of that list right there is D&D, mm-hmm. but there's a bunch of other ones that do that. But like – you're not going to use Traveler for that. You're not going to use Delta Green. You're not going to use Call of Cthulhu. Right. Most likely. Right. I could see a use case for it. Sure. um, Are you playing a space futuristic game? In this case, you are probably going to use something like Traveler. Um, But you also have to think, like, are you running space opera, space exploration, hard sci-fi, soft sci-fi? Space is a big genre. Mm -hmm. Sci-fi is a big genre. It encompasses, like, across the spectrum, Battletech, Mm -hmm. Warhammer 40K, Mm -hmm. Alien RPG, mm-hmm. Traveler, mm-hmm. Stars Without Number, yep. Star Wars, mm-hmm. Star Trek, mm-hmm. uh, all of these things feel vastly different. You're going to get a different story out of every single one of these things, from horror to giant robots to in the dark distant future there is only war. To exploration and hope. To Yeah, exploration and hope and yeah. science, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, but, it, you know. But, so it's a big genre. But there's game systems out there for like all of these things. Yeah, and I, and, and the same can be go said for like modern and contemporary. Mm-hmm. I mean, are you including the supernatural? Is the supernatural actually supernatural? Meaning no one else is aware of it? Is it an MIB kind of situation where nobody knows? Is it Stranger Things? You yeah. Know, okay. You know those types of things, or is it a civilian story? You know, are you dealing with civilians dealing with something ex- excessive? Are we doing hits on bikes? Or are we military specialists? Is this Delta Green? Yeah. Is is this the... um? The, or are you a private investigator? Is this Dresden Files? Or is this Cthulhu? Yeah. You know, you know it, how contemporary or modern really is it? Is, a, is really what we're saying there is, are you talking about things that people can instantly relate to mm-hmm. in modern day or slightly less than modern day? Even adventure kind of fits into this framework because, again, you're dealing with 1950s. It's a little pulpy, but it's still technically a contemporary style feel, Yeah, you know, where things that are exceptional are that. Everyone else sees it as that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have your niche stuff. You know, the, where where you might be crossing genres just a little bit. You might have steampunk, you know. Victorian, uh, uh, cyberpunk, or dyspo- dystopian future is another big yeah, one. Yeah, post-apocalyptic, Mad Maxy kind of stuff. Yep. Um, so all of these, and, and everything we've just named here, like, these are all, it sounds like a big list of genres, but, like, your story's only going to fit into one of these. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's only going to have one specific feel. And so identifying that specific genre that it attaches to is going to narrow down a lot of systems for you. All right, you know? we, have a, we already have a problem in the, in the chat. Oh, okay. Uh, Overwatch would like to know, what about Nordic Noir Bizarro Fiction Space Opera? I don't no, even, Hold on. I understood all of those Nordic words noir. individually. Okay, Nordic Noir. Okay, Bizarro. Okay. Fiction Space Opera. Uh, it sounds... Brain. It sounds fantasy. 
um, with a little bit of uh, of God. so like Marvel. You know, uh, I honestly think what that would fit is a uh, a more pulpy. Um, uh, uh, what's it is? Uh, your your the extension of adventure. Uh, Tales of the Aeon Society. Yeah, you could do it in that. Yeah, could, I think you could do it in that. You could, you could make a case for that. Yeah, because then at that point you could you could have gods infecting the world and superpowers and things like that, and and have it feel like the norm. So I, that's what I would go with. I'd hmm. go with it. So, uh, but anyways, it just, so just just finding the, the the one place there's there's probably a game system that applies, and that's why we named off a lot of those game systems because like just as weird or as niche as your um as your genre for your game um or for your for your story seems to be guaranteed there's a there's a there's a, a game system out there for it someone's probably already done it and already made rules for it 100 percent, 100 percent agree with that and if there isn't there's also generic rules like you know uh i i mean okay sure nordic noir bizarro fiction space opera mm-hmm. savage worlds yeah you could do it in savage worlds done but, but the thing is is that you might need an add-on or a gimmick or a mechanic that goes into it to help the feel. Sure. Like, for instance, I might really want my my thing to sit within the Seventh Sea world, mm-hmm. but I need it to have some Cthulian elements where, like, there's there's another – that other world is actually otherworldly. Mm-hmm. So maybe I grab the sanity mechanics from Call of Cthulhu. Like, yeah, and add that to my game. Or maybe I should just run it in Call of Cthulhu. Maybe you should just run it in Call of Cthulhu. Because that system gives me those systems. Exactly. Instead of adding the stress dice from Aliens, maybe I should run it in the Aliens universe. Yeah. You know, instead of doing Traveler. Yeah, absolutely. Right? So. All right. So, um, your genre can also define your uh, your, your game. Oh, yeah. Um, your next question is... Is there a in like you were just saying? Yeah. Is is the, uh, the 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 sanity and stuff of that? Is there a specific mechanic you're looking to add in? Yeah. So, um, I always even, go to, even like reputation. Yeah, I was going to say reputation is yeah. the big one for me because it's a big one for you. Yeah, it sits in both Seven C and in Cyberpunk Red in yeah. different ways, but it's still reputation. It's still it's who you are showing where it is in the world. I was actually thinking about a Western game, mm-hmm. like where you come into a town and reputation is everything, right? What do you run that in? How do you add reputation? Well, the answer is technically Cyberpunk Red. You could do as a Western game, one hundred percent, because they have the whole Badlands stuff. I think it might lose a little bit, but I could see it. Well, I the reputation works. The system and the mechanics work in Cyberpunk Red, and they talk about the Badlands being a space. Just run it in the Badlands of Cyberpunk. I mean, I think if you're, if you're talking about running any Wild West game, I'm immediately going to go for Deadlands. But uh, I'm with you too. But if I want the reputation to be a heavy-handed part of the system. Where your team has to gain that, that, that grit. Yeah, okay, okay, okay. You know, because it's I'll, part I'll, of I'll the system. I'll give it to you. I'll give it to you. Yep. Uh, alright, so your next big one, and this is, this one's, this is where we're starting to get, get, get into a little bit more of the, mm-hmm. um, the feeling sort yeah. of stuff. Less, less able to be defined in concrete terms like genre and mechanic, and starting to get into things like, what does it feel like? And that is pulpiness versus grit. Uh, now I'm probably misusing both of those words. We're gonna we're gonna make them up as we go along. That's but fine. as as we're applying them here, we're talking about how realistic your story is. Okay. Right. And now I'm putting realistic in giant air quotes. You can't see it because this is a podcast. <laughs> but um, 
So it like over the top heroics that only belong in action movies. Um, are, is that something you want in your game or do you want characters defying, or do you not want characters defying physics and physiology both in the same action? And this kind of comes down to what I, what I've coined as the John McClane test. Okay. 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 So in your game, mm-hmm. you imagine, you close your eyes and you imagine, you imagine your game session, right? Okay. okay. Imagine. Your, your ideal game session. Sure. One of your players is playing a dude named John McClane. I'm already seeing and it. And he says, all right, so the whole top of Nakatomi Plaza is exploding, right? Whole top. I'm going to tie a, uh, a, a fire hose around my waist and jump off the edge of the skyscraper. To avoid the explosion on top of the skyscraper. And I'm just going to swing down and slam into the side of the building ten stories down. Now, when this happens, do you say, oh, hell yeah, that sounds bad as hell. Roll some dice. Right. Or do you say, you die instantly. What do you think was going to happen? That's fair. That's that's very realistic. That versus... is the John McLean test. Okay, okay. that's fair. That now, is fair. If your answer was, that's bad as hell, roll some dice. Probably you want a pulpier game, okay? Many games offer character uh, offer rules that make your characters like the heroes. They're going to tend towards success, even when the odds are badly stacked against them. Mm-hmm. Um, Savage Worlds is one of these games, okay? I was describing this actually to your wife earlier, just before we came downstairs. Um, the reason, like, Savage Worlds has something called the wild die. You always roll your wild die along with your skill die. Right. Right? And the concept being that you're either going to succeed because you're good at something... Or because you're the hero of the story. Right. And screw it. Sure. You know? Yeah. Um, and then you've got Benny tokens on top of that to allow you things like re-rolls and whatnot. It's designed to assume success and allow for this sort of wild action to take place. Over right, the right. top. Sure. Cinematic. You know, things like that. Um, 7C is another one of these games very that much allows so. for very cinematic things. Well, you've got drama dice that yeah. you can literally just throw out there whenever you want and spend them basically to help you pretty much in any situation. Mm-hmm. I mean, yes, for those diehard 7 seers who are listening to it, yes, I know, that's not exactly the case. But that's pretty much the case. Come on, it's 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 a it's a good reader's digest yeah. of it for the for the for the case of this discussion. Yeah. Um, fate also comes to mind. Yeah. Fate has like your fate tokens and whatnot. Um, so a lot of these games will be um, uh, very overt about the style of play that they're trying to encourage. Yeah, very much so. Um, now, if you answer the John McClane test with "No, you die instantly," what did you think was going to happen? Mm-hmm then you're probably looking for a little grittier of a game. This is a term we use a little bit uh, uh, often on the show. Yeah. Um, Call of Cthulhu, I think, is a great example of a gritty game. Yeah, it definitely adds pressure by the mechanics. And, yeah. And, and, a, and, and a layer of stress, because it's trying to get you into the feel of the theme. You are often, you're often taking permanent injury. Either mentally or yeah. physically. Yeah, exactly. Like really putting yourself on the line to accomplish the things that you are. The game system is designed to make you feel small and fragile compared to the cosmic horrors that you are encountering. I mean, Traveler does the same thing by reducing your stats. When yeah. your hit points go Sure. You're 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 into stat damage. Yeah, I don't think I don't think Traveler really lends itself to being, you know, heroic. No. But in a lot of stretches of the imagination. Yeah, it's it's meant to make you feel it in your character sheet. <laughs> yeah. In a way that you're uncomfortable with. Exactly, exactly. Alright, so, this question is important for two reasons. 
All right. First off, it's going to help determine what rules that you're using, obviously. Yeah. Oh, That's totally. The whole yeah, point yeah. of this discussion. But number two, it's also going to inform how your players interact with the story. Yes. Okay. And this is something very important about choosing a rule system to begin with, mm -hmm. is that your rules will teach your players how to interact with the story. How they're going to feel when they're interacting with the story. Well, and some of those outcomes. Not only, not only, not only how it's going to feel, but what is incentivized by the rules. Right. Okay. So, for instance, pulpiness is going to teach your characters to be bold, mm -hmm. proactive, yep. um, to laugh in the face of danger because success is assumed. In most cases. They're the heroes of the story. They're right. going to, you know, they're the ones that are going to be able to get shot or walk across a room full of broken glass with bare feet mm -hmm. after making fists with the toes. You know, or or as a, my, my one of my favorite one in John Constantine, literally flipping off the devil while dying, you know? Ex exactly. <laughs> okay. Um, and this is going to make them more aggressive towards your villains or enemies because they're not going to fear consequences nearly as much. They're going to be emboldened to be proactive and, and action and dynamic, you know. Uh, grittiness is going to teach them the exact opposite. Grittiness in a game system is going to teach them to be cautious. It's going to teach them to fear mortality, uh, to avoid even the hint of danger. And it can and will make them paranoid at the slightest thing. Um, these are the groups that are like, you know, oh, I don't know if we want to open that door. Yeah. We should talk about it for 45 minutes and, and <laughs> really door. like make, make seven, you know, perception checks to make sure that there's nothing scary on the other side of it. Cause what if we open it and it's a trap and we die? Yeah. You know, exactly there. So your, your game system is going to teach them those behaviors. So if you want your characters to be aggressive and heroic, Maybe a pulpy system is good for you. Yeah. You know, but no. if you do want to instill a sense of fragility, look for a more gritty system. Yeah. And, and I, again, that's when we're talking about specifically between pulp and grit, that's what we're referring. So th keep that in your headspace mm -hmm. when looking at the systems. Try and see if you can get that feeling or ask somebody to talk about a game. You may not get it from the mechanics, but if you listen to somebody talk about D&D &D and all they're talking about is how much damage they're doing, you you kind of know what the game is trying to put out there. Yeah, D&D has taught that player how to play D&D. &D. And what and what is valuable in D&D? &D. Yeah. And that's damage output. Yeah. It, yet if I talk to most of my 7C players, they talk about all the heroic things they've done. Sure. Runaways, chase downs, you know, miraculous shots. I blew up a ship once. You did. You did blow up I, a ship. I think I blew up a ship twice, actually. Uh, you had some help. You I had, had some, some help with the second one, but yeah. So so now we step from, now that we, we've kind of had that, another thing that you're going to want to look at when involving systems is it's something we talk about all the time. And that's the scale of narrative and simulationist. Mm -hmm. It is a long line. And yes. Games sit along that in a lot of positions, you know, and it comes down to how detailed do you want things to be? Now, we're not saying that there's a good and a bad here. It comes down to your players and you. Yes. Yes. It's where you're investing. So if you're interested in keeping track of how many bullets have been fired out of a gun because, you know, dealing with recoil penalties for each shot, you know, are there hit location tables and specialty wound tables and wound penalties? You know, are your players looking for that kind of a grind on whether or not they're standing or crouching? 
That is called simulationist. It is what we refer to as crunchy. Yeah. Okay. It is going to be your GURPS, your Palladium, which is Rifts, Robotech, TMNT, that kind of stuff, Pathfinder. All those hit sit within that crunchy rule set because you're you're going to spend two hours playing a combat session that runs 12 seconds, 13 mm-hmm. seconds maybe, yep. you know, um, or something to the like of that. Like looking up some of the chase rules or, or other edges of conduct, there's all kinds of minutia within that rule set to be able to go through that you never really have to ask the question, what are we rolling for this? There's probably a rule section in that book to describe it and or an errata on some page that's going to explain everything about how to dealing with grapple in space, mm-hmm. you know, that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. The other side of that you sit is narrative. Does the story need to be uh, – are you interested in the unfolding the story? Do you want the rules to kind of sit back and let your players have that dynamic, dramatic moment with fiction? You know, where when they're making a challenge, it's either a group role or uh, an individual role and everybody kind of waits for that one role versus – waiting around the table for everyone to take their turn, right? You're looking for, often the term is rules light, is what we use. Mm-hmm. And this is powered by the apocalypse, savage world, to an extent. To an extent. Agree. It's, it's, you it's know, mechanics light, not rules light. Correct. Um, WRNM, uh, Legend of the Five Rings, all of these sit within that genre because, again, you have, instead of, individual customized specialty attacks you have a move yeah that, that, it, that that's it's just like, oh, I, I just attack I'm, I'm, attack I'm going to be aggressive right but then you then you let the player have that narrative choice of how they're doing what they're doing and why i think the best thing i saw was in uh like urban shadows powered by the apocalypse mm-hmm. uh, system um the uh there's not even an attack action or anything like that it's just called lash out physically or something or or lash out with violence. Yes. Yes. It's just it's just the the the, the generic term for I'm going to start some crap. Yeah. And I'm going to try to hurt someone or break something. Yeah. And like it's not even it's not even you don't even like a hit bonus or anything. Like, it's yeah. It's real general. Because because the important part yeah. is the story. Like not about the particulars of what gun are you using, yeah. how many bullets hit, mm-hmm. where do they hit, yeah. how much damage per bullet, you know. Right. Did do it, any of them crit? Did it matter that there were thirteen thugs between Batman and the Joker? No. No, he lashed out physically and he rolled really high, so like mm, call it eight of them are dead. Yeah. And the last one he's hanging on to as he's having the conversation with the Joker. Yeah, you know. and, and it was enough, so uh, the rest of them run off. Um, what's your next move? Yeah. You know, and now the Joker, because you were doing that, is going to make, you know, this move, this this bold statement. He's going to use a flee from danger move. Yep, exactly. <laughs> and, now, and now this has become a chase scene. Correct. You know. And but that's the difference is, is that you want the story to unfold. You want to continue with that narrative edge versus letting your players take each step along. Now, combat is just one aspect of it. There are plenty of skill-based games that do the same level of crunch. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and there are plenty of narrative games that have quite a bit of combat in them. They just don't get into the details. It's up to the narrative to choose the details of that. Yes. yes. So. All right. Let's talk about the, about the elephant in the room. Oh, jeez. And by elephant, I mean D&D. Uh, it is the elephant. I'm not saying a bad thing about it. We, we both love D&D. 
you can just play D&D. That is a thing, 100%, without a question. Go it's, to YouTube, you will see it. It's super popular. Can't we just play D&D? Yes. <sighs> yes. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. You now, can You can do whatever you want in D&D. Just, I'm begging you, make that decision as an informed decision, okay? D&D is great. D&D is ubiquitous in the, in the tabletop RPG community. But it is a very specific type of game that you're going to get out of it. It is a fantasy, swords and sorcery. It is pulpy heroic from the standpoint of it is assumed that your characters essentially will become gods by the time they're like level 15. Um, but it is kind of simulationist in that uh, the rules create a um, uh, a very play-by-play sort of style rather than a narrative flow style of, of, of combat. And it is combat heavy. 98% of all abilities in the book are geared towards combat. All your classes and your advanced, you know, and your, and your levels in those classes give you new combat abilities. More, better ways to do damage, manipulate your foes, heal your friends, protect your friends, etc. All about combat. Um... It's not great for, like, a social-heavy game. We're going to be doing a lot of talking, negotiating, and persuading. Um, and that, that's, like, one of those things that, like, really uh, perplexes me about Critical Role, mm-hmm. given the style of game that they play. Like, you can play it that way. Don't get me wrong. Like, obviously, Critical Role has made a very big empire on just doing a very talky game yeah, with some uh, combat uh, hey, hey, almost not D&D. D and D, and but every every time I watch Critical Role, it like leaves me scratching my heads, going like, how much different would this look if they played Savage Worlds instead? Yeah, h- how much would the gameplay physically change? It really wouldn't, but the combat would speed up, you know. Like, and that's the thing is, is that we watch, you know, you watch Critical Role, and you ask yourself, how long are these combats really taking? How much of the story is this? And I will one hundred percent admit. They're very good at what they do. Mm-hmm. They're very good at following combat tightly, and Matt is very good at weaving combat movement yes. Yes. and making it feel very cinematic. Yes. That is a challenging thing to do. It really is. Yeah, it helps when you have a Dwarven Forge sponsorship. It really does help. Um, but that being said, it is still a very tight rule system that is fantasy, heroic, pulpy, and simulationist. Mm-hmm. And because of that, if you try and make it do something else, it literally feels like you're, you're fighting the system. Yeah. Well, you're fighting the system, but no, that like my in my my whole feeling is is that you've got a car that goes forward and back, and you're pushing it to the side. You're it'll do it, but your your resistance is heavy. The way I look at it is this, okay, is that game systems are tools just like anything else. Uh huh. Okay. Can you open a can of beans with a hammer? <laughs> yes. Yes. Is it going to be a satisfying experience for anybody? No. <laughs> is it probably better if you use a can opener, which is a specialized tool to do exactly the job that you're trying to ask it to do? Yes. There you go. Okay. That's fair. That is 100%. D&D yeah. is the hammer in this. <laughs> it is. And it's, but it is the very recognizable hammer. Mm-hmm. And, and, People often fight that, and I've heard them say it, that D&D is a Swiss Army knife. It is not. It, uh, and yet it is, and here's why. Because it's a bunch of blades. 
Correct though. You get <laughs> how many? There's twelve different styles of blades right. in here. But but it's got a nail file. How many people use that nail file? Except a, for you ready? Except for an emergency. Yeah. It is an emergency tool. Yeah. Beyond the knife. Yeah. And even the knife is an emergency tool. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. That is the truth of the matter. That is why not everyone has or needs a Swiss Army knife. I'm nothing against Swiss Army knives. They're great and they're useful in your pocket. Right. But you're not you're not going to use it for all uses. Exactly. That's a silly thing exactly. to do. So, but like, like you know, like we said before, though, D and D is a good system. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I really genuinely do like D and D, but only if you want to run a, a combat heavy fantasy game. Yes, I agree. I agree. And that's and that's what it's good for. Um, so, so I'm gonna do a little recap. All right. Before we get we get through into we have the, a lot of great questions into the yeah. last question because I don't think the last thing is is something that we that is part of this. So when you're thinking about things. Starting from the top a little bit here, we want to make sure that if you're just going to do a pre-generated world, grab one, have fun with it. Even, you know, if you're not comfortable, grab an adventure from one and look it over. It might give you a great feel for the system and what they're expecting from it. But if not, if you're not going to do pre-gen, figure out where your story is set. Have a good frame for that. Is there a gimmick or a mechanic that you like in a system? Maybe that's the system you want to look at. That you want to weigh into a little bit instead of trying to do something different with it, mm-hmm. you know, and and they will help you get the feeling like we said with the sanity dice, the stress, you know, sanity dice in Cthulhu or the stress dice in Alien or Reputation in 7C. Are you in for pulpy and grit? Or, you know, and uh, pulpy or grit, I should say. You know, do you want it to be heroic or do you want it to be very hard on your players? You know, do you want them to feel that stress all the time? Is it narrative? Is it simulationist? Are you looking to have the story be the, the shining element? Or are you looking to have combat and, and every, uh, every encounter and challenge to be something that is rolled on a, on dice and fate and mechanics? Do your players need that math mm-hmm. to be part of the game? Okay. That, those are the, the core elements that are going to help you pick the right system at, 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 a, at a high level. The real question is, can you homebrew? And should you homebrew? Mm-hmm. And the answer is, A, if it's your first game, do not. Do not. Do not. Grab a system, grab a pre-generated adventure, and go enjoy yourself. Yeah. Come back to this idea later. If this is your 12th game, don't do it. Don't homebrew. There are so many good systems out there. Mm-hmm. But if you found, if you've played through enough systems, and you're like, I like this, and I like this, and I like this, Find the one that you like the most. Find the story that's going to work for you. And let it be your the proper tool to start you into it. Mm-hmm. Your players will help you enjoy the game. You don't always need to let mechanics determine everything. Exactly. Don't don't go crazy homebrewing, is all I'm gonna say. There are plenty there's plenty of reasons to do it, but there's plenty of reasons not to do it. <laughs> Overwatch says your first beer should not be the one you made in your bathtub. That is so it's true. So true. That is so true. All right, we do have some great questions. Amazing questions. All right, uh, where do you want to start? I'll let you pick. All right, we're gonna stop right here at the top. Um, so Overwatch asks, many of us have to go, uh, have go to catch all systems <laughs> for when we're planning a new game. Are there any systems you tend to purposely stay away from when creating your own campaign? Uh, if so, are there campaigns where these avoided systems might be just what you need? So, 
most of the time I like creating worlds. Mm-hmm. So it's hard for me to look at pre world uh, systems that are hard defined worlds because my players then get preconceptions. Okay. okay. And and I think that's my that's my takeaway is, is that I won't necessarily lean into a system unless I'm specifically doing like I like doing 7C because it is it's comfortable and familiar and my players who've played in 7C love that feel. It's easy to get the feel of 7th C. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you watch Three Musketeers once and you're... You've you're, got a feel for you're it. You're in it, yeah. Yeah. Um, or Man in the Iron Mask mm-hmm. or or Pirates of the Caribbean. You're 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 well on your way into those stories. Um, so it's very easy to get people into those stories. But, like, I don't want to run Forgotten Realms. Because some of my players are going to know so much more than me. And feel so much more of the story that I won't be able to give it to them. I'd be afraid running something like, um, Dune. Well, you've you've mentioned before because like I, I've I've thrown it out there of like it would be great if somebody else ran an Elder Scrolls game because yeah I would love to play in Tamriel, but you know because yeah. I, I love the I love the world so much, but I don't get to play in my own world, you know right. Um, well, I say my own world. I don't yeah. have to play in Bethesda's world that yes. I'm running. Yes. Uh, but yeah, yeah, that was exactly your response to me. It was like, you know too much about it. Yeah. Like, I could never, I feel like I could never give you the experience that would live up to your expectations. Yeah. Yeah. You know? And that's, that's the challenge of doing those. So I would say for systems that are very, uh, world specific or, or setting specific, mm. I tend to avoid those. World of Darkness is another one that I tend to avoid. But I would say if I was running, if if there were, were there specific situations that I'd want to run, yeah, there are a couple of World of Darkness situations that I would want to do, but they would be very specific. Yeah, yeah, agreed. Um, I don't know. I mean, systems I stay away from. Uh, I mean, GURPS is the big one that comes to mind. Okay. Um, it's the only Why? one. Okay, so I, I was reading. I was reading this whole discussion on this on R slash RPG earlier today. Somebody asked the question, people who don't like GURPS, why not? Okay. Uh, and there was some really great discussions on there, and I think somebody articulated it a little better than, than, than I could. And that is essentially that, uh, GURPS is such a generic system with so many alternate sets of rules that mm-hmm. you can choose from to piece together the exact thing that you want to do, that storytelling with it is a little bit like dropping a a log in front of somebody, not dropping a log, but like, you know, an actual physical log, um, and saying like, here, carve your own eagle out of this. Yeah. Can I just get a statue of an eagle? Well, you could carve one out of that whole block of wood. It's in there. You're going to have to do an awful lot of work with an awful lot of tools, chiseling away the pieces you don't want to turn it into the thing that you do want. But it, but it's in there if you dig for it. Mm-hmm. I, and, I, and I, that process adds nothing to the game when I, you could just as easily get the thing that you want straight out of the box. Right. And, and I think that's the other coin with, uh, something like, uh, Rifts. There's so many books and so many parts to the world and it's so big that somebody wants to play something ridiculous that's in this book over here and somebody wants to play this book over here. Yeah. Trying to pull to that together sometimes uh, I, feels a little daunting. Dead honest, I feel the same. I, I, I almost feel the same way about D&D nowadays. Where I've, I've heard yeah. – no, luckily it's never happened at my table. 
all of my players are real chill about like, oh yeah, we're just happy to be here, and nobody really tries to do the whole power gaming weird, you know, I, I found this unearthed arcana thing, like, but it's getting to the point where there's 18,000 different books, and, you know, you hear horror stories a lot about people want to play these obscure combinations of things from, you know, four different source books all strung together to make this weird, overpowered monstrosity, and it's just, it's tiring, it's exhausting, you know? So, yeah. Uh, but or, or, so, are there campaigns where these avoided systems might be just what you need? Um, yeah, I would say so. There, there are places I, where, like, I like the World of Darkness one. There are times when I would want to step into World of Darkness specifically because it does such a good job of setting the stage. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's for me. Something like Rifts, I would have a hard time with. But at the same time, if I wanted to play something absolutely ridiculous. Like I just, I I needed something that was totally turn that was totally different than everyone knew. I might grab it. Savage Rifts is a thing, by the way. Yeah, I, I saw that. I and, saw that. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. If you if you if you ran it in Savage Worlds, I'd play. If you ran it in Palladium, I don't think yeah. it would. Um, I could I could see a world. I could see a world in which GURPS was my was my choice. It would be begrudging. Um, but the great thing about GURPS is that it has tons of source books out there for it it really really does if you've got a weird like that that whole like nord noir goofball fantasy space opera thing that was put forth earlier like gurps is probably a great way to do that because there's probably source books for all of those things (laughs) true you could you could easily string some obnoxious stuff together with that and and in all because it's generic universal role playing system, you can it it all it's all designed to work with each other. So the space age stuff, the fantasy stuff, the magic stuff, the cyberpunk stuff, it all fits in the same system and uses the same rules. So it um yeah, I I could I could see a world in which it would happen. It's very unlikely, but I could see a world in which it could in which it could happen. Okay, okay. So uh Charles uh says uh, there are a hundred thousand or ten thousand plus RPG systems out there. Oh God, when yeah. you have a certain campaign in mind, at what point do you stop trying to find one that fits and just homebrew instead? Never. I don't. I've ne- I've only once tried to make an RP system from scratch. <laughs> That'll um, teach you. It'll teach you. Well, it wasn't even from scratch. Actually, I was like heavily modifying our WR and M. Yeah. And I accidentally almost reinvented 5th edition D&D out yep. of it. Yep. And once I found 5th edition D&D, I was like, oh, crap, they already did the work for me. And I gave up. And yeah. This is the system that I was looking for. So that's that's my take on that is yeah. just don't homebrew. It's, if you've ever tried it, you will learn that you shouldn't have done it the first time. Yeah. There's 10,000 RPG systems out there. One of them is yours. One of them is yours. Keep looking. And you're if gonna... not, there's a, a hundred generic systems out there. That exactly. You that can... you can frame from. Yeah. So, and just go generic. Again, it comes down to what story are you telling? Yeah. It's not about the mechanics. The mechanics should help define the story. Mm-hmm. That's all. Um, there's a lot of debate in some of the forums on whether universal RPGs or narrowly themed RPGs are better to run. How does a DM, uh, GM decide between adapting a universal RPG and finding a specific theme for RPG for their idea, given uh, given that every campaign idea is specific? Uh, there's I, only so many stories to be told and only so many ways to tell that story. It comes down to how you're telling your story. Uh, first of all, I, I think that the concept that one or the other is better to run is yeah. is 
false. It's they're they're all tools. Yeah, you know, it, it kind of comes down comes down to the the whole you know uh, using a hand, hammer to open a can of beans thing again. Are you opening a can of beans with the hammer? Then it's a bad tool, and you should use the can opener. Right? Are you pounding a nail in? Well, the can opener is probably not going to be the best tool for that job. I'd choose the hammer instead. Right, you know? but at the same time, you're like, okay, well, I have five hammers or 15 hammers to choose from to nail this nail in. Yeah, are you using the ball-peen hammer? Are you using the sledgehammer, the mallet? Right. Like, Each one of those has is going to give you a different hammer. effect. Yeah, they're they're all different things used for different different reasons. No, but this is a universal hammer. Okay. Sure, okay. Great. It'll work just as fine, too. I can pound in a bunch of different sized nails with it. Exactly. Exactly. So my my thought is, is don't try and compare a universal to a themed one. Think of it more along the lines is, is the theme giving you the feel that you need for your story? Yeah. Yeah. I think this this comes down to our point uh, that we discussed earlier about, um, is there like a special mechanic you're looking for? Right. You know? Um, or is there something specific to the setting that you're trying to emulate? All right. If if you want to run Pirates of the Caribbean and you need a system for it, there's no reason not to run it in 7C and just use the Pirates of the Caribbean theme, right? Yeah. It's, you're getting the feel out of it. At the same time, if you want to run a very tense, very quick narrative-based aliens game, Maybe don't use the alien system. Mm-hmm. Use Dread. Yeah. There you go. You've just eliminated all your problems. It's a universal system. <laughs> yeah. It gets the pro- point across, though, yeah. much better and it's much quicker. the best but survival it's, horror system out there. But yeah. it's 100% narrative. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> right. Absolutely. So, you don't so even that, have character sheets. So that's, that's what I'm saying, is that you find the right tool for the job. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that fits the feel. That's really it. The theme and feel. Yeah, if if the, I'd say if there's if there's not a specific niche that you're trying to fill, like with like you said, reputation or a weird magic system that is done only in one game system, like Seven C, mm-hmm. you know, uh, then uh, Universal for Universals are fine. Yeah, Universals I agree. Are just fine. When, go ahead for the next question because right, I think it's funny. When trying out different systems, which is lots of fun, what is the ideal campaign length to get a full gist of a system? Standard rule of campaigns. It isn't a campaign until after the third session. Yep. <laughs> so I'm just going to immediately say four sessions or longer. Because the truth of the matter is you've got to flex the system. The players have to know the system to get a feel for it. Yeah. I would say um, I'm, I'm not going to commit to four. Four, I think. I said gonna... four at least. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, what, what I think is enough games to run each of the core mechanics of the system through their paces twice. I would agree with that. So in Savage Worlds, we've got combat, we've got some social stuff, we've got chase scenes. Those I think are probably the three main the three main things. I will revise my answer. Okay. One session longer than the last session that you said, oh, we should have done it th- this way. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good. Yeah, one session longer. There you go. Now you have your answer. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think I think enough to run the run run the core mechanics twice. Yeah. Um, just just because you know, your first time you're going to fumble through them. Oh yeah. The second time you're going to kind of know what to expect out of them, mm-hmm. and you'll be able to run them semi smoothly, and then you'll you'll be able to assess them without all your fumbles. In them. Yep. That's it. Hmm. Uh, four four to six games. Sure. Four to six games. That's it. Uh, all right. Every game master has their own personal style. As do players. 
should you try especially hard to stick to the quote unquote rules as written um, when testing a new system or immediately start changing to suit your style? No, stop, stop changing things. The rules were written the way that they are. And I'm going to use the B word balanced the way that they are for a reason. The, 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 the people revised and play tested and published those rules to function in a specific way. Now I'm not saying you can't homebrew things. I'm saying that the moment you start changing things, especially if you're not immediately familiar with the system, yep. you're going to have unforeseen consequences. 100%. 100%. And like, it's in little subtle things that are hard to define and it not not just like, well, if I give him plus one here, or plus two here, it's going to be easier to hit the monsters. No. Those are very direct, easily tweakable things. Yep. What I'm talking about is if I make it so that spells don't replenish on long rests mm-hmm. or that long rests have to be a week long right. in an inn, how does that fundamentally shift the entire balance of casters versus marshals in my game yep you know yeah what does that teach my players to do if i begin to if i say like you can cast two spells in a round as a bonus action and an action Mm -hmm. okay what is that teaching my players yep they're going to be it's going to change the entire game of how they can cast all their spells together. And, and how the NPCs are going to cast and against how them. The NP- yeah, exactly. Because now, now mechanics are thrown off for how... Now, casters are super deadly. Yeah. You know, and can do things that that are all otherworldly. At the snap of a finger. So yep. little, little things are going to have large repercussions. And it's mm-hmm. going to teach your players to play in those particular ways. Correct. That's, that's the important part to remember. Yeah. I'm, I'm not going to use the term exploit. I'm not going to say the players are going to exploit the rules. They're literally going to play the system. Yeah. That's what they're going to do. Yeah. And that, that's not exploiting it. That's nope. just if you tell them that they can do a thing, they're going to do a thing. Yeah. And when they do it... It may not get the result you're looking for. Right. Because players, whether they're, you know, quote unquote power gamers or not, like, even if they're the hardest core role player, I guarantee they want to succeed. Yeah. It's just human nature. Nobody wants to fail. You want to succeed. So if one path is an optimal choice to, to victory and one is not, they're going to choose the optimal path, you know? So that's, that's all we're saying there. All right, last question is from the Mad Elf. Uh, he says, similar to Overwatch's question, many of us have a comfort zone of genre or setting. Mm-hmm. Um, experienced game runners usually know what they like, while some new to, be, uh, to being a storyteller may not be familiar with the game settings that they like, uh, have other media... Likely have some other media genre they enjoy. They likely will have some other media genre they enjoy. Yeah. So question number one, for the experienced game... When do you pick a familiar system, and when do you stretch yourself and try something new? I think that's up to your gut. I mean, sometimes you see your players who are burned out, and they need they need a change. Sometimes it's the storyteller who needs a change. Mm-hmm. You know, and and sometimes you just get inspired to shift. I've gotten inspired. Like I've I've kind of come to a point with my D and D game that I'm ready for a shift. Yeah. And and I I need a shift in flavor, I need a shift in theme, I need my players to feel that difference and to try something new. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think I think especially since starting this show, you and I have both kicked into overdrive of like 
man, there's a million cool systems out there and we just really want to like, we really want to experience them now, you know? Yeah. There's, there's, there's a lot I want to experience right now. Um, so, uh, if you, what do you recommend for the brand new storyteller, especially if they have a particular setting they're interested in, which may be best suited for some specific game systems? What do you recommend for the brand new storyteller? Especially if they have a particular setting that they're interested in, which may be best suited for some specific game systems. Okay, so so for instance, if they have an idea for a story, but they're a brand new storyteller, and it would fit very well in Savage Worlds, what sure. kind of, what would we recommend? And I would say, um, I would say for any brand new storytellers, start, find something that inspires you, mm-hmm. but not necessarily something that you, you're, you shouldn't be ever whole clothing in a new system. Unless you're, unless you're an experienced storyteller. Because the moment you step into a system where you're learning the rules and writing the story at the same time, you can stumble with the way the game is playing. For instance, you may not know that, you may not off the bat know that Traveler is dangerous. Mm-hmm. And so you write a very sweeping operatic style story and you end up getting the expanse. Mm-hmm. Where players are dying left and right and holes are being riddled through ships and nobody wants to go anywhere near space because it's super dangerous. <laughs> and you were expecting it to be more like Star Wars where, you know, people are getting ready to fly out of the, you know, uh, out of the space station. And, and are laser beams go pew pew. Exactly. And that's not what's happening. And that that does happen. You You can get yourself locked in. I... And just likely your players can get into that mode where like, oh crap, this totally changes. But they want to keep playing the story. Yeah. Um. So I, I would say to keep yourself safe as a storyteller is do the best job you can at some pre-gen. Something that – an adventure that's already been written. It doesn't matter if it was home written, that, that you, you pulled it online or something like that, and it's for Savage World or yeah, whatever. I agree. I agree. You know, find something that inspires you, make it your own, and make it really cool. Do a really good job of reading it and, and knowing the story and where that person was writing it and the type of adventure it is, and then do, do it justice. Yeah, I agree. But that way you can get the system down in the same thing and see if the system fits what you want. And that'll teach you a lot more. Yeah, pick pick off low hanging fruit first. Yeah. Um. Even even if you're not running a pre generated uh, adventure or something like that. Um. Just write a milk run. You know? Yeah. Sure. Uh, okay. Literally. So yeah, you're you're a band of mercenaries. Uh, there's goblins in a mine. Go. Uh, the, the the mayor wants you to go to go kill them. There's gonna be some treasure. Yeah. For you. It, it, it's not your plot. This isn't even your story. Yeah. Like you don't don't even worry about your story or the greater implications. Yeah. Literally, like. Your, your mercenaries go kill go kill goblins. The whole reason we're doing this is so that I, as the storyteller, can get a feel for how the game system plays. Yep. You, as the players, can get a feel for how the system is run. Mm-hmm. You can get a feel for my storytelling style. It's the pilot. And I can get yeah. a style. I can get a feel for you as players in your playing style. Yep. It's, and how you mesh together as a group. It's 100% a pilot episode. You're getting yep. the. You're getting your actors to do the read. You're giving a treatment of of a basic script, something that everyone can easily follow. You know, to get the feel for the story. Is this pulpy? Is yep. it investigative? Is it challenging? Is it gritty? Is it simulationist? Like all of these things will come out 
in a very simple go do X come back done. Yes, simple as that. And 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 the reason we're saying this is because a lot of the kinks in the system are going to work themselves out like immediately in the first two sessions. Okay. Yeah. And if you find at like session two something is ground to a halt and you're like, oh, I do not like how that rule feels. Like, right. I don't like at all how this game system is playing and your players are like kind of not into it like you haven't invested months into building you know there's not that crushing weight of defeat of like oh all of my carefully laid plans are now laid to ruin you don't have carefully laid plans there's goblins in a mine and some mercenaries go clear them out for some treasure right and then and when your players look at you and go like can we go back to being pirates? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We can go next week back to being pirates, write up new characters, Cause, and go that. Because there's nothing here. Right, right. Because there's Literally. nothing here. This was a trial run. Yep. The the pilot ran, it got canceled, <laughs> yep. and episode three... Yep. We move on. Yeah, we move on. We move know? on. So, yeah, so keep your investment light, I guess, is the the second part of the yes. answer. So if, if you're a new storyteller, keep your investment light. If you're an experienced storyteller, really stepping away system-wise into something new, Keep Again, your, keep your investment light. Keep your investment light. Yeah. Don't don't go crazy. Keep keep that story simmering off yeah. to the side. Don't don't get rid of it. At the same time, like we said, it's an idea. Mm-hmm. At this point, it should only be an idea. If mm-hmm. you've gone farther than an idea, farther than the first five seconds of your game hitting the table, you have already gone too far into your, your idea. <laughs> you can have thoughts about it, but do not put that shit on paper. I mean, you want to tell you, know, like, it's advice for experienced storytellers. What was my first game? Artifact hunt in some ruins and oops, all goblins. Yeah. Period. Yep. Come, come back with the things you found. Cool. Thanks. We'll put these in our pocket. It's yeah. a surprise tool that will help us later. Yep. Yeah. It'll weed out a lot more than the system too. Sometimes your players. Sometimes your players. Yeah. So, so what's next week? Uh, all right. So next week's system uh, is a system spotlight. Uh, we talked a little bit about the child adventure genre and we mentioned the game Kids on Bikes. We're going to go back and do a full system spotlight on this great little uh, supernatural uh, adventure game. Yeah. And in, in, in this time we'll actually get into like what a child genre really feels like what the theme kind of sits behind it and why it could kind of be fun to do and gives you might give you some inspiration too yeah so yeah, it really you'll... plays out like stranger things honestly if like if, yeah. if, if you're heavily in- inspired by stranger things kids on bikes is going to be so great for you yeah there's there, i've had some thoughts about it myself of doing something like et like so yeah all right so you can find us on twitter at st underscore conclave on instagram at st underscore conclave listen to us live every wednesday night 7 p.m eastern time on mixlr.com slash storyteller dash conclave and join us up on our Discord. You can find the link uh, to our Discord on our Twitter, as well as our website, StorytellerConclave.com. We'd love to uh, have some questions for the show. Join us in the live chat. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll see you there. We'd like to thank some of those named members right now. Knox in the Box, Sam, the Arcane Asylum, Sparkle Motion, Vedran, and Hulavu. We appreciate you every single time. Our... Pre-show music is by Arcane Anthems. You can find that at patreon.com slash arcane anthems. They have all kinds of wonderful music up there. Please go and check them out. I think you will really enjoy it, and it can make your game a little different. Our intro music is Beyond the Warrior by Geefrog. You can find that at geefrog.bandcamp.com or on Google Music. And our outro music, which is Only Our Footprints in the Sand by Midair Machine, you can find at freemusicarchive.org. Big shout-out, as always, to our families, Vicky and Sean. Thank, Thank you, so, you much so much for loving and supporting us. All of our friends who've sat with us at our tables over the years to give you these great experiences to share with you and you, every single one of our listeners. We love you so much. Love you. Good night. Good night.